I encourage you to keep your Bibles open at Luke's passage, so that's page 1571, 1571. We actually get to a part of the Bible that everyone seems to know about. Christians know about this passage. Let me tell you, I've met many of them who get it wrong when they seek to apply it. And non-Christians know about this passage. They don't necessarily know it comes from the Bible, they just quote it. And they also often fail to understand what it means. Now my prayer for us, for you and me today, is that we understand the gravity of what it's speaking about. I hope we understand the gravity of what it's speaking about in the topic of judging others. But also hope that we see how a failure to understand this passage has led so many people astray. Why don't I pray for us as we look at this passage this morning. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes we read your word and take it out of context and misapply it. We pray that in your grace you'll help us to both understand what your word says in its context and also what it means for us as we want to live as your people today. Help me to be clear. Help our hearts to be focused and not to be distracted. We ask these things, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Uh, Luke 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. People inside the church and people outside the church know these words well, even if they've got no idea where they come from. So what is Jesus saying? That's the first question we want to ask. What is Jesus not saying? And really importantly, how does what Jesus says here impact us as God's people living for him today? So to help us answer those questions, I want us to take a step back and look at a bit of the context of what Jesus says. In your Bible, uh, we have inserted a number of things. Before you get too worried about that, we've inserted chapters and verses. They are really helpful for us to find our way around. But we've also inserted headings. And headings sometimes break up the flow of what God's word says. We've added them in. Sometimes they are really dodgy headings that say the exact opposite of the passage. And sometimes they just break the passage up. I think some of the headings break up the passage for us in this section of Luke's gospel. So we want to look at the context. What's happening here? Jesus last week was at least, in fact, this is in the middle of the time of teaching um, to Jesus is giving to his disciples with a whole bunch of other people in the background. And sometimes he's addressing his disciples and sometimes he's addressing the broader audience. We saw last week that Jesus is speaking to the broader audience and talking about what love looks like for followers of Jesus. The heart of God, he says, is to show mercy. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be someone who shows mercy like the Father. So what does that look like? If we're going to love people, we'll show them mercy. That's what the heart of God is about. So what does that love, what does that mercy look like? Mercy even shown to those that are our enemies. What does it look like? Well, the simple answer is this. 
it looks like the same sort of mercy that God shows us. Remember the passage that Mike raised for us uh, last week, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, whilst we were still sinners, that is God's enemies. Christ died for us. Verse 37 says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. That's what mercy looks like. Do not judge, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. What does it look like? Forgive. Now, it says more than that in a moment. We'll see in a moment. But there is an idea of what mercy looks like. We will not be people who judge. We will not be people who condemn others. We'll be people who forgive others and, as we're about to see, show abundant grace towards them. That is God's mercy on display to me and to you. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're going to take Jesus' words seriously, a sneak peek for next week, Jesus says we really should take his words seriously. We need to be people who display this sort of love to others even those who are opposing us, just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't oppose us. Jesus showed mercy to those that opposed him. So in order to show love and mercy to others, what we look like, we will not be writing people off, we'll not be judging and condemning them, we will be forgiving them. Now, Jesus offered forgiveness to people right up to the point of his death or right up to the point of their death, whichever came first. Think of the thief, Luke chapter 23, the thief on the cross next to Jesus. There's a bloke who doesn't have long left to live for a whole range of reasons. There's Roman reasons, he's been crucified. There's Jewish reasons, the Passover's about to happen and it's Friday afternoon and by three o'clock on Friday afternoon he needs to be dead because they don't like dead people on their crosses on the Passover. And what does he say to Jesus? Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is offering mercy and forgiveness to people right up to the point of, well, in this case, his death, but not long after it was theirs. What do we need to do? Be people who show love to our enemies. What does that look like? Mercy, the sort of mercy that God shows us. What does that really look like? Well, we won't be judging them and condemning them and writing them off. Rather, we'll be forgiving them. There's the context, the flow of the passage. Now, how good are you and I at holding negative views of people? I have that down to a fine art. I don't know about you, but I, could, I know where everyone is wrong. You know, I can watch the news and point out why every politician is wrong. We, we foster that thinking, don't we? What does this passage say? Well, we need to be people that develop a heart that is a non-judging and non-condemning, but a forgiving, and as we're about to see, show abundant mercy too, even those that are our enemies. How good are you at doing that? Like, this is a challenging passage. This is not light fluff. Jesus goes on to show us what that mercy looks like in his words. He tells a parable. 
Verse 38. Imagine a bloke comes, or a woman comes to buy some grain. Okay? Give, and it will be given to you. This is the way you, this is what it looks like. These are just not random thoughts that Jesus has. This flows together. Verse 38, imagine your worst enemy comes to buy grain from you. What will you do if you're going to show him abund- or show him mercy? You'll fill up the container. Then you'll press it down, shake it down. And then as he's holding the container on the lap, you'll fill it up till it overflows all over him. Now, Jesus is not saying that you purchase mercy. He's not saying that. He's just giving a picture of what does mercy look like when it comes from God. I don't know whether you've ever got the sugar out, refilled the sugar container, found out that there's more sugar in the packet you've taken it out of and it fits in the container. What do you do? You shake it down and, you know, you get another inch in it. You press it down, you get another, well, centimetre if it depends on how hard you shook it first off. But you, and, and then you try and fit that last bit in and it does overflow onto the bench, doesn't it? It is a passage of what we understand, a parable that helps us understand what is Jesus talking about. Be people who show mercy abundantly, overwhelmingly. Not just whatever fitted into the container, but overflowing onto their lap. And that is the heart of God. That is the heart of our God. Lavish, abundant grace, even to those that are our enemies. It's a pretty striking image, isn't it? Really easy to just hear it and like water off a duck's back. Think, oh yeah, I do that. And off we go. It's the exact opposite of developing a heart of condemning and judging those who are our enemies, writing them off as people outside the grace of God. Now, straight after Jesus has said that, he goes on to talk about two parables. Verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Jesus wants us, after he's told us to show abundant grace, to realise that showing someone abundant grace does not mean that you swallow everything they do and say. It is not being gracious to just adopt in the worldview of those that are your enemies. You want to point them to Jesus. The blind cannot lead the blind. They'll fall into a pit. A student is not above his teacher. Now, Jesus is particularly focusing the attention of those listening on what the Pharisees are like. We're going to unpack some of this more next week, but there's a bit of a sneak peek into where it's going. Uh, Jesus is here saying in verse 39, saying you need to make a choice to the audience there. Who are you going to listen to? Jesus is making sure that the command that he's just given, that if you are people who are living in a God-honouring way, you will be people who do not judge, you'll be people who love your enemies, show the sort of abundant mercy that your father shows, but you also at the same time don't lap up everything that your enemies show. Who are the enemies? The moralistic, legalistic, graceless Pharisees. Then he tells this really funny story that just points it out even more. Ever got the piece of sawdust in your own eye? Well, imagine asking someone to get it out of your eye if they've got a plank in theirs. You wouldn't do it, would you? 
It's a ludicrous story because they would never allow it to happen, yet this is what is happening when the Pharisees, the legalistic Pharisees, are saying, we, we can fix your problem without noticing the fact they've got a plank in their own eye. Without a doubt, that's who's in mind. And yet, can I say, there is so much graceless legalism amongst God's people that it doesn't just apply to the Pharisees. The Pharisees have completely failed to see their own problem and they pick up on the minute speck in the eyes of others. Mercy and grace in abundance, yes. Even to those that are your enemies. That's what kingdom living looks like. But kingdom living means that you will not just swallow everything that those who are your enemies are doing and saying. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. And it picks up onto some of the things I've said already. People quote the words, do not judge and you will not be judged. And they quote it given the idea that if I never say anything about any wrong thing that someone's thinking, saying or doing, then no one will be able to get me into trouble either. Jesus is not telling people to remain silent about false teaching. And how do we know that? Well, next week we're going to unpack a passage where Jesus says, look at what they do. Look at the character of the people teaching you. Look at their, uh, the fruit they're producing. And to do that, you've got to actually discern, judge where people are at. And we, pardon me, we're going to see next week that that's what we see in God's word. And it's not just here, but throughout the scriptures, the word of God constantly says, do not teach what people's itching ears want to hear. Beware of the false teachers. Book after book after book in the New Testament reminds us to be people who hold fast to the truth that has been passed on to us. God's word is full of warnings telling people to discern whether or not they're being taught truth or rubbish. Don't follow everyone. So don't ever get the idea that these words, do not judge and you will not be judged, can be quoted and given the idea that says, well, I'm never going to say anyone's ever wrong ever. What about the wolves in sheep's clothing? That's what they love. There's another way you can misunderstand this passage. If you're not to judge those or judge people and you won't be judged, does that mean our legal system should be ignored or rejected by followers of Jesus? Is Jesus anti the legal system? I, I hope you see that the answer to that is pretty obvious. The answer is no. Now, how do we know that? That's an impossible application of God's word here because other parts of Scripture, Romans 13 is one of them, says that God puts governments in roles where they are to reward those who do good and punish those who do wrong, maintain justice. And they weren't Christian governments, they were Roman governments. The role of the government is to, under God, maintain justice. Do they do it well? No more than you do, in a godly obedience. But that's not a reason to then take the role on yourself, is it? What is the role of the individual? 
the individual Christian like you and I. Personal judging, condemning, they are actually things we need to flee. Forgiving, abundant mercy, they are things that we need to be adopting. You see, Jesus is not speaking about the role of governments. He's speaking to you and I as followers of Jesus. So how do we understand how this passage might? I've talked about some of the dangers of it. How do we understand how this passage might be uh, impacting us today? Let's go back to that first misunderstanding. I hope God's word teaches you, rebukes you and corrects you if you've been thinking about this as a, in a wrong way. Luke 6 verse 37 could be quoted to you in the next month, week, day or hour as saying it's always wrong to judge what others do and teach. Luke 6.37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. How will you answer that question? Or more importantly, what you will you be doing with false teaching? How do you discern what's right and wrong? What do you adopt and what you actually call out? Because if you are people who just lap up whatever is said, you'll be people who don't heed the warnings of Scripture and don't heed what we're going to be looking at next week. So there's, a, there's the first way I think this passage needs to be shaping us as God's, as God's people. Here's the second way. It would be good for us to reflect on that idea of abundant grace and mercy. How do those around you and me understand the abundant grace and mercy that we show them? How good are you at showing grace and mercy to those around you, let alone your enemies, but including your enemies? So those who are most opposed to you theologically or ethically or politically or whatever way you want to put it, how do they understand your grace and mercy towards them or how do they understand let's go the opposite that your hostility of them do they know anything to do with your forgiveness now we live in a culture that loves finding out the fault of our enemy and smashing them with it you could call it cancer culture but it's sometimes broader than just that and it's easy for us just to be caught up in the way our culture works it's easy for us to point out each other's, the, the faults of our enemies and cancel them because of it. How are you going? We are really good at pointing out people's sins, aren't, aren't we? We are really good at showing those who we disagree with the fact that we disagree with them. The moralistic lobby groups of our culture have trained us well. Unfortunately, they have not reflected grace in abundance. We are good at judging. We are poor at grace. In your conversations with your enemies, how good are you at reflecting grace? In your conversations about your enemies... How good are you reflecting grace? I think that's where one of the real challenges of this passage lies. 
God's grace in abundance has been shown to me and to you. We desperately need it. It is completely undeserved. There is nothing in my character that says God is saying, I just must save Rick into heaven because he's such a great bloke. He'll be an example to everyone else. Those who've wronged us, we have wronged God in every way possible almost. And God shows us grace. Are we showing grace to those who've wronged us? Do they experience it from us? Or the harsh condemnation and the unforgiveness? Think of your conversations to people and about people. I think that's the biggest challenge from this passage. But there are other ones. Here's one more, just the last one. When it comes to God honouring living, who are you going to listen to? The Christian life. Who's feeding your thinking about the Christian life? If you are following the moralistic Pharisee, guess what? The blind lead the blind into pits. How discerning about you are you about who you listen to? We live in a culture where we have so much for us to plug into to hear from almost anyone. Who is it that's feeding your thinking? Now, you might be thinking that means I just got to listen to Rick. That's really bad news. Let's see what it says next week about who we need to be listening to. How discerning are you at who you listen to? Do you have a choose-your-own-adventure when it comes to God? The theology you'll pick or the church you'll go to or whatever it happens to be, do you fall into that trap? Who are you listening to? Every teacher's filled with faults. You should know that. You are filled with faults and I am filled with faults. We have specks and planks. We'll see next week that there's only one, one teacher worthwhile listening to, but we'll also see that God uses flawed people like you and I to take the good news of Jesus, the message of the kingdom, to a world that desperately needs to know it. Why don't we stop there? We'll pick up on this again next week. You might like to read ahead. Uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Why don't I pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, in the challenge that your word brings to us this week, Lord, help us to take your word seriously. Lord, help us not to follow blind guides who lead us in wrong thinking. Lord, help us to be people that reflect abundant grace and mercy, even to those that are our enemies. For that is how you have treated us. That is radical Christian living, Lord. Lord, help us not to go for the light, fluffy approach that never challenges us and only confirms us in what we've already planned. Develop in our hearts, Lord, gracious love. Lord, help us to put to death in our lives the condemnation and 
judging that is so easy to do and so commonly modelled. We ask, Lord God, that you might live, use us for your glory. We ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.